there are many examples throughout history of a of a vastly outnumbered or maybe an under-equipped military force overcoming and defeating a vastly superior force. And I think there's something within us as people that's that's drawn to these underdog stories. You know, we root for the underdog unless, of course, you're on the side that perhaps should have won these battles. Now, sometimes the underdog wins because of subterfuge. Right? A guy by the name of Fritz Klingenberg and his group of five German soldiers captured the whole city of Belgrade and its Yugoslav army of thousands by using some captured troops and trucks and pretending to be a, a much larger force. Well, sometimes the superior force loses because of their own mismanagement and miscommunication. On January 1st, 1863, Confederate troops expelled a, a much larger uh, Union contingent from Galveston, Texas. The Union fleet commander had scuttled a stranded ship that he didn't want falling into the hands of the enemy. However, the Union troops on the shore thought the fleet was surrendering, and they laid down their arms. Now, sometimes the superior force loses because of overconfidence and then the resulting complacency. In the 16th century, uh, two to 3,000 Oda clan samurai warriors attacked an entrenched force of nearly 25,000. But this much larger army had been drinking and celebrating a string of easy victories. And in the summer heat and in their drunken state, most of them had removed their armor, and they were completely routed. However, if you add faith in an all-powerful God into the mix, there are no odds that are insurmountable. Every factor comes into play. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we began by looking at the, the greatest underdog story of all time— Right, David and Goliath. Now, in human terms, Goliath is certainly a giant at well over nine feet tall. But the Philistine is not the biggest giant in this passage. And, and we saw the first of those giants in the previous message, and that is God himself. Right? God is bigger than Goliath. Right, God was bigger than David's lack of experience or training. He was bigger than what nearly everyone thought possible. In fact, right, compared to God, Goliath was just a dwarf. But there's another giant in this passage that towers over Goliath, and that's David's faith. Right? Goliath's puny stature shrinks in the face of the power of David's faith in God. And it was David's giant faith in a giant God that showed Goliath for the pipsqueak little runt he was. Now, let me quickly reset the scene for you, right? The Philistines are the longtime foes of the Israelites, and they have invaded once again. And as was sometimes customary in ancient times, the Philistines had a, a warrior named Goliath whom they sent out to challenge Israel uh, to send someone to take him on in individual combat. 
right? And these two champions would, would represent their kings. They would represent their armies and their entire nations in a one-on-one -on -one fight to the death for all the marbles. Now, Goliath, for his part, he was a behemoth of, the man, of a man measuring about nine feet, nine inches tall. He had an arm span of nearly 10 feet, a, a reach of, of five feet. I, he was an imposing, intimidating presence. Now, the two armies, they're encamped on opposite sides of the valley, about a mile apart. And for 40 days, Goliath comes out into this valley and he challenges and heckles the Israelites. And for more than five weeks, the Israelites are frozen in fear. They don't know what to do or, or how to respond. On day number 40, though, David, still just a shepherd boy, arrives in camp with some supplies from home. And he hears Goliath's taunts, and he can't believe his ears. And he can't believe that, that no one on his side of the lines has responded to the challenge. And so he tells King Saul that he will fight Goliath himself. And though young, inexperienced, and untrained, David displays a remarkable faith in God, a faith that's about to make him a national hero. And what I want to do in this message is look at four things that, that empowered David's faith in God. And these are four things that you and I can have and build in our own lives. And if we do, we can face our own giants. And we all face giants of different kinds, right? We have financial giants, relationship giants, career giants, spiritual giants. There's giant decisions, giant failures, giant tragedies. We have giant fears. And all of these things can, can hold us in their grip. But the way that we face these giants is with a faith in an even bigger God. Now, the first thing that, that empowers faith in God is what I'll call God confidence. And notice that I said God confidence, not self-confidence. And I'm not saying that self-confidence is a bad thing. Uh, it, it isn't. It has its place, but it can only get you so far. The world so often communicates this message that if you just believe in yourself, anything is possible. Right? You can do anything. Right? And, and you watch enough Hollywood movies and, and, and read fairy tales and, you know, just believe in yourself, follow your heart, dream big, and anything can happen. It's a bunch of baloney. We can't do anything just because we set our minds to it. Now, we can do more than we think. We might be able to do more than we thought possible. But we cannot overcome any challenge just because, oh, we have big enough dreams. We hope enough. We want it enough. We believe in ourselves. And, and the world would have us believe that, that our choice is between believing in yourself and, well, not believing in yourself. We have to choose between self-confidence and low self-esteem. But there's a third choice. And that is believing in more than yourself. You see, we all have limitations. We all have weaknesses. We have blind spots and, and vulnerabilities. And 
there are some giants that can only be conquered with faith in something, in someone bigger and beyond ourselves. Now, David is absolutely brimming with confidence in this passage. In verse 32, he assuredly tells King Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And at first, David sounds maybe a bit cocky here. But David's confidence didn't come from pride in himself. It came from his confidence in God. And listen to what David tells Goliath in verses 45 through 46. This is in 1 Samuel 17. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today, I will give you the carcass, the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Right? So several times in this passage, David talks about what he will do. But three times in these two sentences, David roots that confidence in God, that David is able to do what he does because of what God does, right? I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. The Lord will hand you over to me, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All right? That's not just self-confidence or self-esteem. Right? That's not pride or arrogance. That's God confidence. Sometimes when it's all about self-confidence, we can become more like Goliath, who's filled with all sorts of, of pride. Listen to this arrogant confidence from Goliath in verses 41 through 44. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. Right? That's a, a product of his pride there. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But Goliath's self-confidence, right? it was all in himself in his size, in his strength, in his experience, in his weapons, in his armor. David, however, possessed a, a calm, stabilizing assurance that flowed from his faith in God. So remember, when you're facing a giant in your life, it isn't just about your own abilities, your own experience, your own knowledge and strengths. It isn't just about what sort of armor you can wrap yourself in. It's about what you're willing to let God do through you, right? You need God confidence. Now, the second thing that, that feeds a, a fully developed faith in God is to use the strengths and gifts that God has given you, right? And we need this truth to balance our understanding of the first, first point. You see, having God confidence doesn't mean that we don't do anything. 
right? A strong faith doesn't mean that we're not involved. Right? God has created us with natural strength, skills, and abilities. He's allowed us to grow through, through various life experiences. And these experiences, they, they shape us and grow us. In addition to all that, the Bible asserts that every believer has been given a spiritual gift. Right? That is a, a spiritual endowment that equips and enables you to serve within the body of Christ. Now, God gives us all of these things for a reason, and he expects us to use them, to understand them, and to develop them. So having a God confidence doesn't mean that our own talents and gifts don't matter, but rather understanding, developing, and using our abilities, life experiences, and gifts helps us have a proper God confidence, right? Because we understand that, that God is ultimately a provider of these things as well. Even skills that we have developed and, and, and trained, we couldn't do that if God hadn't given us the, the intelligence and the natural capacity to develop these things. Now, we can't put all of our confidence here. That's what Saul wanted David to do. King Saul tried to give David a false confidence. He thought, well, if you're going to fight a giant, you got to have the best weapons and armor that money can buy. We read in verses 38 through 39, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Saul thought that David could have confidence if he just wrapped himself in the right armor, right? And, and, and Saul thought David could face Goliath on Goliath's own terms. And I think many times you and I were like King Saul. We think we can just wrap ourselves in the right armor, and then we can go face our giant. Now, that armor comes in many different forms. We think that if we just get the the right degree or the right job, or we live in the right town, right? That if we find the right relationship, right? And so we we wrap ourselves up in, in education, in accomplishments, in money, in position, in power, in who or what we know. And then we march off to face our giants, and time and time again, our giant defeats us. And anytime we think that we can face the giant on the giant's own terms, we're likely going to lose. Fortunately, David realized that his real confidence came not from his weapons or his armor, but from God. But that doesn't mean that David ignored his natural abilities, his acquired skills, or the, the practical knowledge that he had gained through experience. He used all of those things. Right? David knew that he was a good sling thrower. And David had developed that skill over his years of watching the sheep. All right. And knowing that and using that works in tandem with David's faith in God. So David's natural abilities and skills works with David's faith in God. And that's what we should do. Our natural gifts and skills can work in tandem with faith in God. I love what Gene Getz says here. David knew he had unusual skills. He also knew his limitations. Saul's armor would interfere, not help. 
He knew that he could throw a stone with accuracy. He had honed that skill for years while guarding his father's sheep. He believed his faith in God, combined with his ability to use the sling, would enable him to win the battle against Goliath. On the one hand, he knew the battle was the Lord's. On the other hand, he had the confidence that he could defeat Goliath with his skill in the slingshot. Some Christians go to one of two extremes. Either they sit around and just wait for God to fight their battles, or they're out trying to win it all by themselves. God wants us to balance faith and work in our lives, but always operating in the strength of the Lord. So a healthy, fully developed faith involves a proper balance of God confidence and confidence in our own strengths. And using the natural abilities, life experiences, and spiritual gifts that God has given you, that isn't a lack of faith. It's an expression of faith because you're using what God gave you. Now, the third way to develop your faith in the face of giants is to be faithful in the little things. We'll never have a chance to show our faith in the big dramatic moments if we don't first show our faith in the small, seemingly less significant times. Right, faith for the big trials is forged in the small tests. Jesus taught this principle in the parable of the talents, where the faithful servants who had been entrusted with a few things were rewarded by their master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Well, David was able to show great faith in the face of a giant because he had showed faith in the face of smaller challenges. Here's what David tells King Saul in verses 34 through 37 when trying to convince Saul that he could indeed face Goliath. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from his mouth. Right, what did he strike it with? I'm going to guess a sling. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of of this Philistine. All right. When you learn to trust God with the lions and the bears, it's easier to trust him when you face the giant. And the reasons that we are so often intimidated and paralyzed with fear in the face of the giants in our lives is because we haven't trusted him with the lions and the bears. You know, too many times we don't think we need faith for the small stuff. We think, hey, I can do this on my own. I can handle this no problem. And so we do it on our own. And we get by with it many times in the small things. The problem is, is that we haven't trained ourselves to rely on God. We're training ourselves to rely on our own strengths and abilities. And then when we face something beyond those strengths and abilities, we're lost. We don't know what to do. Right? We panic and we're paralyzed with fear. And that's when we make foolish decisions. That's when we say stupid things, all because we don't know how to live by faith. 
That's what happens when we learn to live by faith in the little things, which is what we need to do. Now, this leads us right into the, the last thing that empowers our faith, and that is remember what God has done for you. Right? We develop faith in these little things. And as we do that, we need to keep track, all right? We, we, we develop this track record of here's how God has provided for me. And as we keep track of these things, as we remember these things, we will have more God confidence in facing the giants, right? David remembered the lion. He remembered the bear, so he was better able to face Goliath. And you and I, we both need lion and bear stories, right? Examples and illustrations of how God has been faithful to us, how he's provided, how he's protected us. But we shouldn't just remember the little victories. We need to celebrate them. We need to keep trophies. And as soon as David kills Goliath, he takes some trophies. Look at verse 51. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And after the Israelites finished routing the Philistine army, here's what David does with his trophies. Verse 54. David took the Philistine head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistine weapons in his own tent. Now, I mean, admittedly, this seems like pretty gruesome stuff to us. But look for a moment beyond the gory details and see the importance of what David is doing here. Right? Goliath's head is put on display in the capital as a reminder to all of Israel of what God did. And the faith of an entire nation was lifted. We should celebrate victories as a church. Right? We need to put our successes on display, not out of pride or arrogance, but to advertise the glory of God and to remind us of what God can do. We might find this kind of disgusting, but I really believe the display of Goliath's head in Jerusalem was an act of praise and worship, and it was meant to inspire Israel to be moved to awe at what God can do. But it's more than just Goliath's head. David keeps some personal trophies as well. And these, I think, were meant to be personal and private reminders of what God can do. And every time David went home, he would see those weapons. Every time he looked at Goliath's weapons, he would remember what God did and that God was faithful. And he would remember how God helped him face the giant in his life. Winning victories is extremely significant, and we need to remember that. When God pulls off something that only he could do, we can't forget that. It's something that, that should be celebrated and treasured, and we need to give these victories a prominent place in our conscious memories. Right? We need to hang on to something from our successes to remind us that God is able. Chuck Swindoll says, so often when facing our own giants, we forget that we ought to we forget what we ought to remember and we remember what we ought to forget. We remember our defeats and we forget the victories. Most of us can recite the failures of our lives in vivid detail, but we're hard pressed to name the specific remarkable victories God has pulled off in the past. So where do you keep your trophies of God-given victories? 
like David's trophies, your trophies can be physical trophies. Now, hopefully they're not swords or heads, but they may be physical objects that, that remind you of the victory. For example, for a long time, I kept a, a length of barbed wire that reminded me of an important day of prayer and fasting. It, it's a long story, but but it was a very significant spiritual turning point in my life. And that barbed wire reminded me not only of the commitments that I made to God, but the commitments that, that I felt like he made to me that day. Even this sermon kind of reminds me of a trophy. The first time as a minister that I did any sort of preaching and teaching from the life of David. It was a, a team series that I had planned and prepared um, with the family life minister at, at a previous church. But before he was our family life minister, he was an over-the-road truck driver, but he had a deep passion for God and a love for God's word. And he would take days off, and, and he and I would go to Shenandoah National Park. We'd go up on Skyline Drive. We'd find a beautiful overlook, a scenic area there. And, and we would just take whole days to, to worship. And, and we would plan and write sermons and lessons. We'd study God's Word. And, and I still have in my folder on 1 Samuel my original notes from that day up on the mountains, right? And it reminded me not only of, of that place and that person, but it, it just reminded me of, of a close time with God. It was a, a trophy. And part of the reason that, that he decided to go into ministry was because of those times. Um, you need trophies like that. I keep in my desk at church, I have a, a big stack of cards and letters that I've received over the years. These are people who, you know, that, that I have done something that's made a difference in their life. And they're giving me thanks. And I hang on to those as a reminder of why I'm doing this. Each one of those is like a little trophy. And it's not about me, but it's a reminder of what God can do through me. But your trophies can be all sorts of things. All right. Well, I think one of the roles a good spiritual journal can fill is to be a trophy display case. Because as you write your thoughts and prayers and struggles and doubts and questions, it's a way to reflect on the enemies you face, the battles you fought, and the victories that God has given you. Right? A trophy can be a personal or family tradition that you celebrate. Your trophies can be stories that you tell, cards that you keep in your wallet, a a song that you sing at times that you need to remember, significant verses that you, you memorize and recite at important times. Now, of course, there is one trophy that all believers share in that was given to us by Jesus himself, and that we share in this time each Sunday that we gather to remember. We call it the Lord's Supper. And it celebrates the greatest spiritual victory over the greatest giant ever. And that is his victory over sin and death and the fact that our sins are forgiven. And Jesus wants us to remember that, that victory regularly. And he gave us a trophy to celebrate. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So what are your trophies? 
Where do you keep them? How do you display them? How do you remember what God has done for you? You see, facing the giants in your life, it isn't about how small you are, how big the giant is. It's about how big your God is and your faith in him. Now, when I first started putting this together, I was talk, thinking about, you know, two giants in this passage besides Goliath. You know, God is the true giant, and, and then David had giant faith. But then I thought, you know, if I, if I put all the stress or the emphasis on the size of our faith, that might lead to the wrong conclusions. Because Jesus says that even faith the size of a mustard seed um, is big enough to move a mountain. And really, it's not the size of our faith that makes the difference. It's the fact that we have our faith in God. And so it's not the size of your faith. It's where you place that faith. And even a little faith in a big God goes a long way. But the greater our trust in him, the more we will be able to see him do in our lives. Thank you, and God bless.